0: Dear listeners, welcome to Faces of Digital Health, a podcast about digital health and how healthcare systems adopt technologies. I am your host, Tasha Zeitz, and today we will talk about cybersecurity in healthcare. According to Clearwater Cyber Intelligence Institute, one of the key issues in data breaches are user authentication deficiencies. These include password strength requirements, single sign-on controls and locking accounts after too many failed login attempts additionally people use generic passwords they physically post passwords on a workspace or do not encrypt credentials in emails over external networks If the key issue of data security and privacy protection in the past was how to archive data and prevent unauthorized physical access to these archives, the cloud brought a whole new set of challenges. For one thing, security measures required from the personnel are getting increasingly complex. Additionally, while several advances have been made on the technological level of data protection, from different methods of encryption to high-hope steaming from AI development and quantum computing, the bad guys are also using these technologies, says Chris Bowen, the founder and chief privacy and security officer of ClearData. ClearData is a US-based company offering technology and services to assist organizations with their healthcare cloud security needs. Chris and I discussed the trends in cybersecurity healthcare, the future, and what organizations should be mindful of when it comes to healthcare data protection. Enjoy the show? Find the transcript on our website www.facesofdigitalhealth.com and do subscribe to the show if data privacy, security, and protection are among your interests. In the next episode, you will hear about GDPR and the upcoming medical device regulation from Miovan Stevovic, co-founder of Chino.io. Now to cybersecurity with Chris Bowen. This discussion was recorded in late December 2019. Chris, have you ever been told that cybersecurity is boring, you know? IT people are a special kind, especially when you pair them with doctors and medical staff. They speak two very different I, I languages. To be honest
1: with you, I have been told that cybersecurity is, is boring, not by any of those folks, but by my teenage daughter as I drive her to school on conference calls, talking about the importance of cybersecurity. Um, but uh, you know, beyond that, uh, no, it's it's. I've actually never been told by anyone in the health industry that it's boring. It's it's one that is top of mind as the healthcare industry continues to struggle with staying ahead of the threats, uh, protecting the patient data both here and internationally, and uh, making sure that privacy standards are upheld, and, and more importantly than ever, having the, the information necessary to provide the proper treatment to patients as they're in one of their most vulnerable states as they go through the healthcare system.
0: My impression is that um, efforts to create data privacy, to enable patients to have their data safely stored, uh, are increasing, which we will come to later. But at the same time, it seems that uh, cybersecurity. Um, is increasingly problematic in the sense that the number of cybersecurity attacks are increasing. Can you, for starters, share a little bit of uh, your insight in the basic trends around cybersecurity in healthcare?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I analyze these kinds of uh, data points every quarter as as we report to our board and to our customers uh, some of the, the, the trends that we see. We've we analysis this quarter up to between now and, and the beginning of the quarter, there have been 90 healthcare breaches exposing 1.4 million records just this quarter alone. Now, if you think about the, the trends that go back uh, between now and last year, uh, the number of breach victims this year totaled 563% more this time than last year in the U.S., and this is according to the uh, Department of Health and Human Services Wall of Shame, where breaches are reported. Uh, to put that into numbers, uh, 2018 there were about 7.2 million patients with their data compromised. This year we have about 40.5 million patients uh, with their data compromised. It's interesting to note uh, that one of the most basic ways that this data is is compromised is through email. And in fact, just this quarter alone, there were 2.9 million records exposed because of disclosures in email, and that can relate to either sharing patient records by using email or could, the vast majority of that, of course, the phishing attacks where people are tricked into uh, providing access to information within a system because they think they're sharing with someone that they know, or they have a trusting relationship with who they think is a, is a legitimate person, but may not be. And, it, it, you know, so that's a very disturbing trend that we've seen continue to happen this year. And I've written on this several times. In fact, one of my, some uh, I guess, ardent articles about this was simply titled stop emailing PHI. If it's a easy thing to, to prevent, And I think there's a lot of ways we can combat that.
0: Before we continue, just a brief question again for you. Because passwords are a big issue, tell me, how many different uh, login passwords do you have? I personally have, I think, 67 different passwords in my password manager for different websites that require a login.
1: You know, I'm looking that up right now. I also use, by the way, kudos to you. For having so many, it's it's a it's a nice thing to hit that, that one password isn't used for everything. I have 668 passwords that I have to use, and I, I have this great tool that allows me to audit which ones are uh, potentially compromised, uh, which ones are used in multiple places. But but you're right. I mean, your point is right. If you if you can't manage your passwords effectively, they become less useful. They become Um, another way to be attacked
0: one of the things that sometimes when it comes to security people think is either i have nothing to hide or i have nothing to worry about when it comes to these kind of breaches are usually specific people targeted
1: my response to that is is similar to one that has been talked about on, on ted talks you know if you don't care about your privacy go ahead and give me your email Username, password, and I'm just going to go ahead and watch what comes into your inbox here and there, and, and you shouldn't really mind, should you? Um, you know, nothing is more important to me than making sure that the privacy of our of our uh, patient records are upheld, and and that people understand the the need to have privacy. Um, and so it, it's a it's a topic that you know I find that those who say that don't really understand what privacy is in the first place. Uh,
0: maybe to illustrate a little bit the, the problem here, can you name a few examples of the consequences, like real people's consequences
1: um, of data breaches? I won't use names. Uh, obviously, I'm a HIPAA and a privacy guy. So, But I, I do know of of documented reports of a woman who had Uh, lost her insurance card at the gas station. She went to fill up her her car. She she lost her wallet, and in that wallet was her uh, insurance membership card. Uh, She didn't think much more of it. Uh, You know, she got her credit cards replaced, but didn't really think too much about her insurance card until it was a few months later she was arrested for uh, trafficking in opioids. And, of course, she had never done that. She had never done any of that. But her identity was used to go acquire a a massive amount of opioid drugs from various providers throughout different states. And so she had to go through and experience the unpleasantness of trying to clean her record from her medical identity that had been completely compromised by someone who was doing illegal things with it. Uh, If you think about the medical record, just, just for one more moment, if you have a, a, a challenge with your record, who do you call to correct that? One transaction, by the way, will go to over 100 different places in the healthcare ecosystem. If you go look at the datamap.org, it'll illustrate it beautifully uh, how many places your data goes after just one simple transaction. So that's one of the greatest challenges with the medical record compromise is that the shelf life of that record is, is on average around 10 years. The shelf life of a credit card can be as little as you know, half an hour because can, the credit card company can simply just go turn it off. You cannot do that with your health record.
0: Another thing that makes me think uh, in the story that you mentioned is that all those transactions that happened around opioids, you know, as a patient, you don't have no clue, no audit log about the transactions while they were happening.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And if you think about the worst case scenario, maybe I've stolen a a medical identity to get treatment that I couldn't otherwise pay for myself. And so when I go through that treatment, maybe my medical record is changed to to say, hey, maybe I'm not allergic anymore to this specific drug. But yet I am. When I go to get real treatment, it could actually kill me because my medical record may reflect an inaccuracy in my allergic reactions, for example.
0: When we are talking about cybersecurity or cloud computing or digitization of healthcare, um, arguments from uh, vendors are usually that uh, if you have data on the cloud and proper management of that data, that data is much more secure than physical paper that can get stolen in, in um, the healthcare institutions. Yet usually when we hear about data breaches, we hear about these cyber attacks and things that are happening in the digital space.
1: Well, I would, I would say that it can happen with an on-premises infrastructure or it can happen with a cloud-based infrastructure. And I've seen healthcare providers try to do both. And what I've seen is that those who try to engage digitally in healthcare using the on-premises solution. Uh, especially the providers, they usually are squeezed already from a margin perspective. And what they have to do is buy necessary hardware, the software, the, the, the real estate to put the hardware in, the bandwidth. They have to do all of that at the highest capacity that they can forecast. And that takes, literally takes money out of the system that, that could be used for proper uh, security. It could be used for proper health, you know, health care to patients. And it continues to squeeze their margins to the point that these poor folks within the healthcare IT um, uh, ecosystem—they are—they're running dangerously low on funds to stay ahead of it. What the difference in the cloud is, you can still engage digitally, but you don't need to scale right out of the gate. You can build to scale as you consume, and that allows you to deploy the, the resources necessary to better secure your your tools to better employ security measures, to engage partners like a clear data, for example, that that helps to, to audit, remediate, demonstrate that compliance and that security, uh, all without squeezing the margins like you would in the on-premises world.
0: Uh, what's your advice to healthcare providers? How can they uh, go beyond just the bare minimum requirements to be compliant when it comes to data security and really provide uh, proper data care with budget constraints and everything?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. It all comes back to being able to use the cloud to do the job that you need to do. And if you have the, the ability to employ a partner to help you in that journey, uh, to help you understand how to use the cloud, then you can continue to use your staff, your IT staff, to learn the cloud, to learn how to use it, and how to use it effectively and, uh, and how to employ the controls that can be leveraged at, at scale. Um, it, it's, it's one of the reasons that I started Cloudata uh, was to help those kinds of organizations move into that journey. And as they get better and better, meet them, meet the customer, meet the healthcare provider, the life science, the pharmaceutical company, meet them where they're at in the cloud journey to help them understand how to use the new services. I'll give you an example AWS innovated over 1,900 services and products in the cloud last year alone, or this year alone. And to stay in front of that is a very big, daunting task. Uh, If you can leverage people who already know how to do this, do that. If you can find someone who can guide you along the path, by all means, trust them to help you do that. Obviously, do your diligence. But deploy your strategies, create your annual strategy, to take advantage of the cloud. And we're starting to see that tipping point where where it's not a matter of if we ever go to the cloud, it's how soon can we get there. That's what we're seeing our customers go through at Point.
0: So what's the, the general suggestion? How much um, should be outsourced? How much should be done in-house?
1: I don't know that it's a, a question how much. It's it's what is, what is the use case. You have to really look at what you're trying to do. If you're trying to do a big data type of... Uh, of a workload where you're trying to gain insights from massive amounts of data, you, you wouldn't want to do that on-premises. On it's just too expensive to do. If, on the other hand, you're simply trying to uh, you know, do something that, that doesn't fit the cloud, then then I would go through the assessment, the planning process, to determine what applications are fit for the cloud, which ones should be rewritten, Uh, which strategies you should employ.
0: If I go back to the um, problems of uh, authentication deficiencies and passwords, for example, which are probably the most easy thing to to understand, Um, according to Clearwater Cyber Intelligence Institute, Uh, One of the key issues in data security are user uh, authentication deficiencies, which include uh, problems with password strength requirement, single sign-on controls, uh, people locking themselves out of their accounts after too many failed attempts, um, and generic password use. Um, Doctors or nurses will tell you that passwords are sometimes written Uh, on post-its, under keyboards. Based on your expert observation, how much um, effort do you see organizations putting in educating the workforce about the importance of safety requirements about data?
1: You know, I I, I chuckle because uh, some of those experiences you just described, the post-it notes, etc. I think my favorite story when we did a security risk assessment on a hospital in the Midwest we walked into the radiological uh, exam room and the doctor was very, very proud that he had written his password on the wall in such a tiny way that you couldn't actually notice it unless you really looked at that spot on the wall. And, uh, you know, so obscurity, you know, security by obscurity doesn't always work it works better than a post-it note, but uh, that was a very innovative approach. But I would coming back to the question, uh, the challenge with passwords are unless you effectively manage them, like we were talking about earlier, unless you effectively manage them, you'll end up using similar passwords on every single application, and you'll try to take shortcuts. And so, you want to what you want to do is you want to design your authentication scenarios, your authentication systems to be user friendly. Do I need to enter a, a password every? Every time I come into the to the room, does it have to expire every fifteen minutes? Well, in some security frameworks, yeah, the, 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 those are best practices. But if I'm a doctor and I'm going from room to room, maybe I would rather use my fingerprint to unlock something. Maybe I would rather use a token that's attached to my to my uh, to my something that I have. If we can get away from having to uh, use simple passwords. And, and just rely on that one way to authenticate, then I think we, we win. I think if we use multi-factor authentication uh, and really try to make it easier, um, increase the security profile, and we reduce the frustration.
0: Can you mention any uh, good use cases in this regard? So healthcare IT companies can sometimes install safeguards to prevent data breaches or just to protect themselves and be able to claim that their system is safe, but it's user uh, unfriendly. You know, if... uh, Two-factor authentication is great, but it would be a real hassle if the doctor had to, as you mentioned, um, log into the computer or a tablet every time he went to a different patient. You mentioned fingerprint readers. Um, I I see a lot of potential in voice recognition solutions, but I'm wondering how much of that is actually already uh, out there working in the environment.
1: There are quite a few of our customers that are providers that are doing it very effectively. Uh, they range from brain institutes to cancer institutes to life science companies. Uh, there's a lot of best practices. And if you think about GDPR for a minute, GDPR defines best practices as, as state-of-the-art required. And, uh, you know, what does that actually mean? Well, that means figure out your use case. In a way that's the most effective way possible to accomplish what you're trying to do.
0: But what, for example, are the organizations that are taking care of cybersecurity properly and that are taking care of uh, data? Uh, properly, what are they they doing differently compared to other uh, institutions? It was very interesting to me to read one of your articles where you warned that new hires and uh, those that are leaving institutions are a potential organizational threat because those that come in uh, the institutions perhaps are not trained yet regarding the proper measures that need to be taken to ensure security and those that are leaving, you never Never know if they're taking any data with them, or if they're doing something else that's not um, a good uh, data practice.
1: Certainly, if you bring someone on board into your organization and you haven't trained them on how to handle PHI and they're not from the healthcare space, then then by all means, don't let them touch PHI until they know that they're not supposed to go sleuthing around inside a database looking at it. Let's make sure they understand things like minimum necessary principles and that they are required to, to adhere to those and not look at things that they shouldn't have a need to look at. Um, but, but on the control side, you know, you can simply, or you can certainly rather guard against that by implementing the proper controls. Uh, again, it comes back to role based access controls. It comes back to system activity reviews. Finding out who's doing what within a system is a very important way to to understand that. And there are tools that you can use to, to enable that. But you actually have to have people looking and reviewing and, and working on that. The other big challenge that we mentioned is the offboarding and the change of, of credentials or, or or permissions rather. And as as folks maybe get a different job within the organization or they leave the organization unless you're tied into some systematic way to centrally manage your authentication, your permissions, using, for example, an active directory approach or a single sign-on approach tied to a, a, a role-based access controls, you're going to have a very difficult time making sure that the John who left is actually not in your systems anymore. And, and that, that can certainly become a, a, a great concern Uh, When you're trying to protect data from unauthorized access.
0: Can you um, um, explain a little bit how compliance to regulation is done? You know, so we have laws, we have regulation uh, that are supposed to take care of the requirements that data breaches wouldn't happen, but they do. So what's the cause behind the breaches? How often are audits happening in hospitals?
1: That is a great, great question. One of the things that that is difficult to do, I mentioned the AWS number of innovations over this past year. We still have the HIPAA security rule, and that rule has... 46 or so different administrative, technical, and physical controls that have to be in place. Some of them are required. Some of them are addressable. That hasn't changed uh, significantly over time, but the the cloud has. The innovations have. And so one of the things that we do at Clear Data is make sure that the regulatory requirements align, or, or rather the, the architectural solutions align to the regulatory requirements. So how do you... Uh, align a, a basic system within, you know, Google Cloud or Azure or AWS that meets the HIPAA requirements. You map the specific requirements from HIPAA to the architectural reference and, and, and that becomes, uh, you know, the, the standard by which you operate with that, with that design. That's not the end of it. Then you actually have to continue to monitor that to make sure that you don't have compliance drift. And uh, and I, I think you read our our press release on our platform, uh, you know, release which is is designed to simply prevent that that compliance drift by doing auto remediation against those regulations. It's a challenge, and that's one of the reasons that we have been so successful in the industry, is because that's a hard thing to do, and we learn how to do it very well. If you if you're doing that on your own, it's a big challenge, and I don't know how they would. You know, necessarily accomplish that without some kind of automation and, and a massive investment in in that kind of regulatory activity review.
0: How much do you have to educate the CEOs and the leaders of institutions about cybersecurity? I imagine that, for example, if a doctor becomes a CEO or a leader, he's not an expert in cybersecurity, or perhaps uh, someone with a business background. Might have the same problem, you know, it's not their expertise, but it's getting increasingly important, especially if you look at all the medical devices and IOT coming into healthcare and an increasing uh, number of devices being connected. And then you can lose track of the third party providers that can potentially access the data because of the privacy policies that are, you know, intertwined when there's more players coming together?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, now, this, the CEOs have a daunting challenge in, in providing health care. They've got to, uh, you know, work with squeezed margins. They have to understand how to deliver care without uh, a break in the bank. They've got to secure the data. They've got a, a, a thankless this job. But, uh, you know, if they they are starting to take notice. I think the stats that I... Uh, Cited earlier, just this this year alone or last year, 563% greater number of patients have had their data compromised. If if I'm a CEO, I'm looking at the cost of delivering care versus cost of, of pulling money out of the system to remediate a data breach. Well, I think I'm going to take the prevention side a little bit more seriously to try to bolster my systems to prevent that data breach. Uh, so, uh, you know, I'm seeing more and more CEOs in health systems become more aware and more concerned about the, the cyber and, and trying to do as much as they can to provide more investment there. You did touch on medical devices and, and that's also a great challenge. Just simply understanding where those devices are, how old they are, where they're at in their product life cycle is, is another daunting challenge within the healthcare delivery system.
0: I'm sure you heard of a story about the Medtronic um, insulin pump that... um, So it was a big story in July... 2019 where two researchers uh, discovered a disturbing vul- vulnerability in the Medtronix Minimed and um, because the company didn't do anything about that vulnerability they actually created a hacking app to prove a point that um, you know these are serious matter they created a remote control um, that would uh, could reach many many insulin pumps so like from from a patient perspective from my perspective that's kind of concerning because you know if nothing else you as a patient kind of rely on the uh, provider on the vendor that they're going to take care of these issues especially if we're talking about established vendors but if that trust goes away I'm getting concerned about, you know, what the future holds regarding the increasing amount of sensors and data that's not being protected properly.
1: Yeah, I I, I agree with you. Um, we've had meetings with the FDA on this topic and others in the, in the medical device um, industry. And, and really the consensus is that in order to, uh, you know, combat Vulnerabilities in medical devices, it, it's going to have to be the whole community that takes, takes part. Collaboration really is the key. Uh, it's true that the connected medical devices are extremely vulnerable. Um, there's patient safety issues at play. Uh, there is a shared responsibility though, and that includes the manufacturers, obviously. It includes the Department of Health and Human Services and security researchers in the FDA, but also the healthcare providers that are, that are, uh, um you know giving these devices to the patient, and so uh it, it's a it's a it's a challenge I think in two thousand nineteen there was a, a little bit of uh of progress made. I think in two thousand and twenty you're going to see additional targets for uh you know the fDA trying to provide some release guidance maybe there's uh some additional um, uh, you know work on on what is a a threat modeling scenario for some of these devices. There might be proposed Uh And then another really big effort that's going on right now is how do we secure the legacy systems? It's not just the medical device that's vulnerable. It's back-end systems. It's the back-end operating systems that are now in the end of life, and they can't be supported with patches and, and security anymore. Uh, so, You know, the the vision here is that every medical device should actually meet a security baseline. It needs to be updatable, easily updatable. And and patients actually need to get some timely updates on whether or not the device they're using is up to date as well to, to, you know, perpetuate that that transparency.
0: It's a crucial thing, especially since uh, the cybersecurity field as such is advancing in amazing ways. Um, so if we were saying before that it's problematic when data breaches cause serious data leaks, there are technologies such as the zero knowledge proofs or homomorphic encryption that in essence enable uh, computations or verifications without revealing the data. So, perhaps if we stop here for a while, can you uh, name uh, a few trends in this sense? You know, so how is technology as such improving that it would make data safety as seamless as possible?
1: It's, a, it's an interesting. Um, discussion around data security, data centricity. On the one hand, you have a, a need for um, supplying artificial intelligence uh, systems with enough data so that the, the AI is not biased in any way. On the other hand, you're trying to secure the privacy of the patients that are part of the, the ecosystem of healthcare. And so, it is a it's a delicate balance. It's a tough one to to balance perfectly, and there's a great debate on that and as to where, where the patient can be a- enabled. Uh, we're seeing a lot of great uh, advancements, though, in making the, the, the data safer using uh, artificial intelligence as well as machine learning, and, um, you know, those, those kinds of advancements are, are going to benefit overall. On the flip side, the bad guys are also using machine learning and artificial intelligence, And um, and now you've seen some announcements from AWS and others around quantum computing, and that's going to turn the whole world of data security on its side in terms of how we approach uh, protecting that data.
0: Can you elaborate a little bit further, like what are the debates around that? Is it going to be even harder to ensure? Security.
1: Well, yeah, it's going to be harder. It's it's going to continue to be more difficult. Uh, we're going to have to rethink ways that we are are uh, storing data, processing data. I'll give you an example of a, an approach that that uh, that, that that's, you know been in place with our company for a little while, and that is microservices use, where you can actually shard data among microservices uh, using containers in a way that if I have access to someone's you know a credential or or a permission, I, I don't necessarily have more than just a couple of digits in a social security number, for example i don't have I don't have all eighty million records in a database anymore. I have shot of one piece of data for one record. That kind of approach can be done in a way that it can vastly improve your security posture and vastly decrease the uh the blast radius if you will if something bad were to happen. So when I say things need to be thought of differently going forward, it's easy to say yeah, I'll just use this data database approach. Yeah, I'll just use uh you know, I, I would even go one step further. I would I would use polymorphic encryption and say this is great. But if you can think a little bit more um outside the box on how to use some of these new services coming from the cloud, then you can better protect your data. This is one of the key areas that I believe the cloud will continue to outpace on-premises um, uh, feature uh, benefits, you know, throughout the world. There's just no way on-premises um, architecture and servicing and, and, and scale and, and such can keep up even remotely with the kinds of advancements.
0: What kind of questions do you get asked most often? when it comes to uh, security and privacy?
1: Uh, how does your patch Tuesday go? Uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of providers are still thinking about, uh, you know, the, the, the the patching cycles, the vulnerability management, how, how vulnerable is my system? Um, how, how do I look from a security perspective overall? And, um, you know, one of the ways that we we try to change that up is is we think about patching not as a, an event every week but a, a constant uh, as things are spinning up, spinning down, and sailing, new versions of operating systems should be used that comply with uh, CIS hardening stamps that that happen that can happen every day potentially. Uh, updates happen every day. And so yeah, I'm asked a lot about you know how's the security of my data? Uh, can you fill out this questionnaire so I know that I can trust you? Um, those are the kinds of questions that we get. Uh, and it's different depending upon the provider. If you're getting those questions, if you're talking to a, a payer of an insurance company, they're asking questions like, you know, can you support a Kubernetes environment where I can trust my PHI uh, through the entire ecosystem? And we can actually say, yes, yes. We have a product called Locate that does that uh you know so the question's differ depending on what part of the healthcare um vertical that you're you're talking to
0: I just have one more question for you and that is um as patient data privacy expert how did you see the news about the Project Nightingale which enabled Google to access medical records of over 50 million people in 21 states through, throughout um the largest nonprofit health system in the United States Ascension um there were mixed uh, reactions to this news patients were concerned about being discriminated because this data was suddenly accessible to to Google of course the company claimed that data is only going to be used to um, improve systems to create new algorithms
1: um, what's your
0: uh, opinion
1: well I, I have I have lots of opinions about this one I think that it's a it's an interesting approach to how this happened. I, I don't know that it was necessarily carried out the most effective way. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest, uh, you know, the patients, I, I've read the the notice of patient privacy uh, that, that the patients, um, you know, signed up for. Uh, every health organization tries to make them as general as possible so they don't have to go back to the patient need to do something. But in this case, it would have been nice for the patients to have some involvement in knowing that their data would be used potentially uh, with Google to help make their healthcare experience better. I do believe that Google has the ability to do some amazing things with that data. Um, I'm, I'm my, my opinion is also that, uh, you know, we go back to that minimum necessary principle, did it really require, you know, nearly 200 engineers to have access to individual records within that designated record set? Uh, I don't know, Um, but that seems to be a lot. Uh, Could they have done anything with masking the data? Could they have done anything differently to protect uh, the the identity identity of the data? I don't know for sure. I don't know if there was anything done that was not appropriate from a legal perspective, Um, but uh, it certainly had a, a challenge from its implementation and how it was carried out. A good lesson, if you will, on transparency in healthcare, on sharing information with your customers and your patients, uh, in an effort to try to save and protect their privacy.
0: Perhaps just one more question: We didn't talk about blockchain at all. Where do you see the role of it um, in this story?
1: Yeah, I, you know, I, I think it's it's got a place. Um, if we think about some of the. Uh, Things I've talked about in the past. It would be nice to be able to to leverage uh, some technologies to prevent the breach crisis. Uh, and I will I will say that it is a, a crisis at this point. If we can leverage auditability and ownership of a record, where I now give you the ability to look at a record versus putting in putting it in the hands of someone who may not protect it as well as I do, and blockchain can be part of that scenario, then that's a wonderful thing. Um, I, I still think there are other methodologies that you can use that, that can be nearly as effective. But I do believe that blockchain has a place uh, in, the, in the ecosystem as we continue to move forward. And, and that's just one example.
0: Is there an ideal future that you imagine? How would ideal cybersecurity look like?
1: To- I'll give you my vision, but I know the bad guys have their vision too. So it's the, the dueling pianos, if you will, in the bar. where each trying to get ahead of the other. The ideal scenario for me would be that we have data locked down and usable where it needs to be usable, that there is uh, instant transparency to those who need that information to know how that data was used, whether it was used for the purpose it was supposed to be used, and, and, and obviously uh, whether there's any unauthorized access, et cetera. If we can prevent data from being accessed and used in a way that it's designed, then, then that's wonderful and what that takes is a, 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 focus, a focus on the on basics a focus on the, the hygiene that has to be done every single day that means thinking through new technologies and thinking through new approaches to how we think i used the microservices example a few minutes ago i know that what it takes is, is limiting human involvement as much as we can and, and narrowing the black zone as much as we can using some of those
0: technologies. You've been listening to Faces of Digital Health. Stay tuned. Visit our website www.facesofdigitalhealth.com to browse through other content as well and leave a rating or a review wherever you get your podcast. Your opinion and support are the fuel for this show. Stay tuned.